This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, So You Think You Want to Sell Real Estate, and the author is Michelle Overstreet, and Michelle joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Michelle. Good morning. How are you? Good to have you with us now. That is a typical statement when, especially people who are out of work, they think, well, you know, what can I do? What can I, how can I be in business for myself? And, and now we got all these tax credits. My goodness, it must be, it must be easy to sell a house. So maybe I'll just jump in and, uh, you know, it's easy money, right? Yes, that is the general consensus. That's why I got into the real estate business. So there's a, uh, I guess there's a big learning curve then. You went through a big learning curve, probably uh, intellectually and emotionally. Oh, definitely. Uh, You know, when when you first get into the real estate business, you think, oh, it's going to be easy. What's what's so hard about showing a house? Well, that's not the hard part. The hard part is getting the commitment and actually getting that person to purchase a home from you who they do not know. Uh, Most people want to purchase a home from somebody they trust. So you've got to gain that trust, and people don't realize that there's so much more. So it is about building this relationship from, I guess, the moment you meet somebody, you've got to really be aware of, of that kind of effort. Well, that's correct. That's, you know, it's amazing to me how many people that I meet say, oh, I have a relative in real estate, and they'll take that relative's advice, but they won't take yours. Now, that relative can actually be someone in real estate already, but maybe they're not in your market. Maybe they're in a different state. Um, it can be frustrating to you if you're new and you say, um, well, you know, would you like to take a look at some houses? Oh, you, you show them the perfect house, and then all of a sudden they buy from Uncle Bob. And it's because they trust Uncle Bob. They don't trust you. They'll trust you to show them a house, but you can't get them to make a commitment to you. You've got to learn how to get around that. You talk about being emotionally prepared. So how do you become emotionally prepared to start as a real estate agent? Well, one of the things that I wasn't emotionally prepared about was the fact that it was going to take money to market myself. Uh, My broker didn't prepare me for that. I was shown a phone and a desk, and uh, basically just that was it. So emotionally, I would sit there and just think to myself, what am I doing in this business? I got started in a market just like this. It was in 94. It was very slow. And literally, I would go home and twiddle my thumbs. And I was bored out of my mind. I was not emotionally prepared for how slow it was. And I would go in and pester my broker and ask him so many times, how do you get a buyer? How do you get a buyer? I was so frustrated, and emotionally, I would just tell my husband, I don't think I can make this. I don't think I can do it. And I'll tell you, it took three years just to get past that point. And people don't realize when the market's swift, it's an easy sell. People want to buy a house from you. They don't care who you are. They want to buy it because interest rate's low or the market's great or what have you. But when it's not, it's very difficult. 
So when the market is not that great, like it is right now, what is your first piece of advice to that new real estate agent, that would-be real estate agent? A lot of people don't understand, obviously, when they get into this, of the tremendous challenge that it is. It is a tremendous challenge. My suggestion would be to ask your broker or your sales manager if there's a house that you can, say, do an open house on. You're not going to have a listing. You're new. People don't know you. They're not going to call you up and say, hey, Michelle, come over here and list my house. So you don't have any other business. You need business. So you're going to go ask your broker, your sales manager, can I do an open house? So you get over there, and what do you do? You stand there. No, that's not what you do. You need to know how much it would cost in a monthly mortgage payment on that particular property. You ask them, are they working with a buyer or a realtor? You ask them if they've been pre-approved. If they've been pre-approved, you need to know that's a trigger. Most likely they may be working with a realtor. So you have to ask those questions, but you have to get in there and engage. If you don't do it, you'll never build a relationship with anyone. It's that old word that we often hear in the in the sales business, be proactive. You've really got to step up. Yeah, and, and be proactive, not reactive. And, and one of the things that uh, in real estate, you know, you can, you can talk to somebody, but remember, I had, a, I had a broker tell me once, buyers are liars and sellers are worse. And I never knew what that meant until I tried to work with my first buyer um, who I showed houses for four or five months thinking that I had a relationship with them. And then one day I called him up and I said, hey, I think this house came up in this area that you wanted. Oh, we bought the best house this weekend and we, you know, we went to this open house and this realtor told us that there were these other people that wanted this home and we had to hurry up and write this offer. And I was silent. And I thought, wow. And in my, in my naivety, my, my reactions came through instead of being proactive. I was very reactive. And I pushed that buyer away even worse because what if that deal didn't go through? I was so emotionally upset at the fact that I had been working with these people for four months. And they were so happy. And they thought they had a relationship with me that they were actually excited to tell me they had bought a home over the weekend. I blew up. It was the worst thing that I could have possibly ever done. But I was reactive, and I shouldn't have been. I should have been proactive and, and maybe said how excited I was about them buying their first house and learned from it. Now, eventually I did learn from it, but I, I shouldn't have been reactive. I should have been proactive. You're trying to help people to understand not so much the how-tos of being in the real estate business, but the what to, what to expect when getting started in the real estate business. That's, that's correct. One of the things that, you know, you can read these books, um, how to do this, how to do that. You're told continuously how to market yourself, how to, um, well, how to sell real estate, basically. But really, that part will come. You need to learn, like I said, what to expect. When I was showing that person houses for four months and then all of a sudden they bought from somebody else, the what to expect. Well, that's happening. And what else to expect? Well, you have to be a self-starter. 
you have to go out and kind of learn how to do things on your own, but you need to know what to expect. And I can tell you that the unexpected happens almost every time. And as you put it, we need to learn to be self-reliant. Well, absolutely. Nobody can, you can't rely on anybody in this business. You have to rely upon your own desires, your own strengths. Um, You have to have um, the ability to persevere and be tenacious about something. And self-reliance comes from within. When you get up in the morning and you go to your regular job, you've already been told once what to do. Well, that doesn't happen in real estate. You're showing that desk, that phone, and basically you get to figure it out. So you have to think about those things, read, get knowledge, go to classes, um, just because you take your principal's exam and or any other state exams that are required by the state in which you live does not mean that you are going to be self-reliant. Yeah, you can read all day long, but unless you are willing to get out and, and take those steps, you're not going to make it. And don't worry so much about making mistakes, right? I mean, because everybody's going to make them at first. Oh, absolutely. I still make them. I'm going on real estate in 16 years this November. And I learn daily. It doesn't matter how long you've been in the business. You can just, you can react a little bit better to certain circumstances, but you're constantly learning. One of the titles of uh, uh, one of your chapters says, uh, don't buy the house you just listed. What, what do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that means, you know, when, you, when you're representing the seller, you make a commitment to get them the highest and best value for their home. And this particular instance, it was a home in the country, and um, my husband had wanted to live in the country, but I wasn't even thinking about this particular property because it had some things that my husband didn't want. It had two and a half acres. Um, it was more money than he wanted to spend. I re- remember thinking, well, gee, this is the nice house, but it has the things that my husband doesn't want. It has lots of acreage. It has too much, you know, for him to handle. Um, it's more expensive than he wanted. I wanted a four-bedroom. It was only a three-bedroom. So in my mind, this was not the house for us. Um, the problem was I did an open house. I listed the house for 210000 and I did an open house. My husband helped me take out the signs, and then he, he came in and took a look around. Well, I'll tell you what made my husband change his mind. It had a swimming pool, and my husband wanted a swimming pool. But he didn't tell me that, and I got home after doing my open house that day, and he said, I want that house, but I don't want to pay $210,000 for it. I was mortified because I knew that I had just listed this house for $210,000 in good faith, and... I thought it was worth 210000 but, you know, I was dealing with my husband, somebody I have to live with, and it was horrible. It was a, it was, um, I had to relinquish the listing to my broker, uh, which was fine. I didn't mind doing that. I did not earn a commission on it. But I have to tell you, um, when you suddenly change from being your, your, the selling eight or the listing agent for the seller, and you turn out to be the buyer, and you're making it this offer lower than you've actually... They don't trust you all of a sudden. There's this, this huge distrust. Wait a second, you're only offering me $196,000 for this house when you listed it for two hundred and ten. You told me I could get two i will tell you, that that is a huge 
no, no. I, I just think that if you're going to um, look at that and the, and the all of a sudden I want to buy it since, don't list it. Don't list it or you make that full price offer and let the appraiser decide if it's worth it or not. It's It was a bad situation. Another chapter title is New Broker, Different Challenges. <laughs> yes. Um, one of the things that I, I found is that I jumped from one office to the next, and that's not necessarily a good thing. But I was looking for something that I wasn't getting with each broker that I worked for. My first broker was very leisurely. He was more social and hardly ever available. My second broker was work, 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 work. And he and his wife were a team. She was the lender. He was the the real estate broker. And um, they were, you know, dot your I's, cross your T's. But, you know, sometimes that gets harsh because I was constantly stressed out. They were on me all the time. Now, that's the best office that I learned in was my second broker, but that wasn't necessarily what I was looking for because sometimes I felt that they were just out for the money. For me, it wasn't about the money. So every time I jumped from one broker to the next, it was different challenges. Um, You know, my third broker was a liar. It turned out he was commingling funds. He was um, doing things illegally, and less than two months after I started there, he went out of business. So, you know, when you think of making a move from one broker to the next, I suggest that you thoroughly investigate. You open your ears and your mind, and you realize that when you make the commitment to go to a real estate broker and work for them, they better have the reputation that you want to have following you. Because when you go to somebody, I would lose business sometimes because of the broker I worked for. Even though this person may have thought I was great, oh, that you work for so-and-so and I don't like them. I'm not going to give them my business. And so it's tough. It's tough. Different challenges with each one. We have about a minute left, Michelle. Uh, what about this chapter, friendly competition is a good thing? Well, um, I had my own company at that point, and we were having our office meeting one morning, and I had about four agents in my office say, you know, I don't know who this so-and-so is over at this such-and-such a franchise office, but I'll tell you what, she's hitting up every single house, and she hit my house with a flyer, you know, and she's being aggressive. And I told the agents, well, what does that tell you? Is that, does that scare you? Does it make you worried? Um, does it make you want to get out there and work harder? So friendly competition, when, when, some, when an agent realizes that all of a sudden here comes this new person in the business, and they're hitting and doing the things that you're not doing, what does that tell you? I think you better step up your game. And so I would tell the agents, well, you know, a little friendly competition is a good thing. Turns out that particular agent had been watching my advertising. She was such a go-getter. She called me less than a week later, wanted to come to work for me, and then I was like, oh, my gosh. I mean, my mind just started spinning because I just thought, oh, do I bring this agent in with my own group and eventually I did and it really spurred the competition in the office but that's a good thing that's true there's always that internal competition as well as the outside competition and that I'm sure is an interesting uh, juggle of emotions (laughs) 
It is. It very much is. Well, Michelle, tell us how to get your book. Well, um, there's a couple of places. You can either go to authorhouse.com slash bookstore and um, type in my name, Michelle Overstreet, or you can go to michellesrealestatetips.com. And that is the website for the book. And um, it's um, $13.99, and I believe that it's a very good investment for somebody who's seriously considering getting into this real estate business. Well, thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much for being on Author Talk. Well, thank you for having me. That was Michelle Overstreet. She is the author of her book, So You Think You Want to Sell Real Estate. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. It's the chance for you to hear firsthand from authors on why they write their books in their own words. It's called iUniverse Radio, hosted by Steve Jorgensen every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio, every Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 Central on TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge. What's your story? Are you living it? Well, you could be. It's What's Your Story with Hillary Bilbrey. Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Her passion is helping others discover, create, and live their personal brands. Yep, you heard me. You have a brand. No different than Coke, Pepsi, or Nike. You are a walking, talking, living, breathing brand. You're not a logo. You're not a tagline. The choices you make become the path you take. This is your brand. Now, live your story. Your brand is not just what you say it is. It's also what others say it is. So what are you communicating? And how can you create an authentic brand? We'll take on these challenges with What's Your Story? Every week, Hillary will feature teens, moms, and organizations that are learning and living their story. Now, her passion is to help others discover, create, and live their personal brands. To find out more, go to inspiredbyfamily.com. It's What's Your Story with Hillary Bilbrey. Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, No Greater Sacrifice, A Son's Model to Success. And the author... Armando L. Garcia, and Armando joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Armando. How you doing, Mr. Steve? Good to have you with us, and we're going to talk about your great hero, your mom. Your mom, uh, you were raised by women, and she was your inspiration and teacher. You write this in your book. Some heroes don't come with a long history. They just become heroes. Also, Heroes don't always have to be men. Many women also deserve the honor. My mother, Dolores Langoria Garcia, certainly fits the definition in Webster's Dictionary that talks about a heroine as a woman of outstanding courage, nobility, or of heroic achievements. You say you lost your father when you were three years old, so for as long as you can remember, your hero has been your mom. So congratulations, Armando, of writing this tribute to your mother and also as a resource for the rest of us to learn about what a hero is all about, or in this case, a heroine 
is all about and what she represents. Why did you take this big step, Armando, and publish your book? That's certainly a, a major, major effort. Yes, sir. Uh, on December '07, I went to visit her for the Christmas holidays. I took my three daughters and four grandchildren with me. And as I saw her, on a, she, at, that, at that time she was 95 years old. When I saw her deteriorating, a woman that was 156, uh, 5'9", uh, being so frigid, small, uh, it really got me to think. Uh, I realized that I was not going to have her long, too, too, too much longer. I wanted to share the great memories that I had with, with her all my life. So in August of 08, I decided to write our story to honor her. I finished the book in August of 09. Now, your mom and dad moved up here to Texas from Mexico. Mom and dad became American citizens when they were tw- uh, mother was uh, 12 and dad was 13. They were uh, they met in an uh, orphanage in Nuevo Laredo, Texas, and they, 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 they educated themselves there at the orphanage. And when they became uh, uh, American citizens, they, they got married. Uh, mother was uh, uh, 13 and, and, uh, and dad was about 15. And uh, we, they, in the period of when they got married to mother's age of 30, they bear 10 children. We lost one, one daughter, an infant. So you have seven sisters. There were eight, actually eight sisters and a brother and me. And one was lost, they lost as, as, as an infant. And, uh, and my brother, uh, when uh, he was able to join the military at HIV, forces uh, to go to join the military at the age of 14, 15, I was left with uh, my uh, seven sisters and my mother and myself. Uh, we were lived at the at that time uh, uh, assistant living uh, government assistant living housing in Laredo, Texas, uh, which now some of the government projects that don't compare to what we had back then. So, mom took over. She was a single parent, and she took care of you, all of you, and was a great role model. Well, uh, again, I was two years old when uh, as I became of uh, five or six. My sister shared the uh, uh, what, what no greater sacrifice. I want to identify why I titled that. Uh, the twins were born at Mercy Hospital, a Catholic hospital in Laredo, Texas, run by nuns. The nuns had already uh, arranged three wealthy families to adopt the twins, my one-year-old sister, and, my, and me. And when my, my oldest sister, my two oldest sisters shared with me that when the nuns approached her with that, with that offer, she turned around and said, are you kidding? That's the only gift my, my husband has ever given me, my children. I'm not going to give them away. So the sacrifice she took, she could have had the easy way out. She took the sacrifice to make sure we stayed together. And the, as we 
everybody pitched in. I started working when I was five years old. My older sisters were actually the caretakers. Mother decided, went out to work from six in the morning until midnight. And I would go with her during the, during the summer uh, weekends. I would walk with her from the project downtown, holding her hands. To, I would start. I started selling lemons in the corner of a drugstore. Then I shine shoes, and I have worked ever since, and I've done very well. Your mom really believed in looking very noble. She always dressed a certain way. There, she never wore dresses. She always, I mean, she never wore pants at that time, you know. Uh, her, her heels, and she was, like I said, she was 5'9", and uh, very tall, very straight. I have a picture in the book that she's 70 years old, and as you can see her, she's standing still straight up. And as I walked down from the project, maybe I want to say I want to five miles uh, downtown Laredo. I would hold her hand and would look up to her. And uh, when we walked down the dirt street in the mornings, you feel the you smell the moist of of the, of the soil, wet soil, and we describe which would every home we pass. We said we could do this, we could do that, and we always dream of having our own home. Within five years, she had already bought a house and had a car, and we were out of the garden project after that. But mother was left ignorant, barefooted, and pregnant. She didn't even know how to buy grocery store, go to buy groceries to go to the store. She just knew that she had a great responsibility, and she was going to take care of it. She was going to face it and do it. Yes, sir. Through her... Her faith, her strength, I, I it dropped into all of us, and we we felt. I mean, we I felt the the strength that she that she passed on to us, and you know, like I said, all of us have been successful, and uh, and by her guidance of teaching us the right way to do it, and her life lessons that were given to me as we walked down downtown Laredo, she always used analogies on how to be a good person. Don't do to others what you don't want somebody to do to you. And always respect everybody, no matter what, young, old, or whatever. That's everybody, I'm 67 years old, and I call everybody sir. And even though I just have, you know, that's, that's just an example of how, what had she has done for me. You say the sparkle of her hazel eyes revealed a soul ready for any challenge, and her head and shoulders always focused forward in a dignified manner and complimented her walk, a gracious walk, full of pride and strength. Well, she sounds like you described her, and as you've written about her, she was a classy lady. She sure was, and not having her, her parents herself, to guide her, you know, some, some, like I said, some people have just have it, and some, you know, and and even though if you all don't have it, there is there. All you have to do is find it. So, because of your mother's solid work ethic, it really helped you mold your career. Me and my sisters, one, one is uh, seventy-two, and has had an. Our exterior landscaping company in Laredo for 45 years. The other one is 
75, and she still works as, as an accountant. And I can go on and on. You know? So one was uh, worked for the Capitol. She was the first Hispanic uh, Secretary of the Senate back in the 60s. And she just retired uh, 35 years from the, uh, state, uh, from the state Capitol. And she's worked with all the senators, you know, uh, currently, uh, uh, I mean, all those uh, senators and congressmen in, in, uh, in Austin that uh, she, was, she was very successful in that area. You say she was a positive thinker. Yes, sir. She never, she never uh, created an obstacle. There was nothing, there was never a problem for her. No matter, we never detected that. And I, I felt that I inherited that. Hey, that's the problem, we just have to find solutions. You know, with, with yourself within, you need to, you know, so, solve that, that whatever problem it is, you know. Armando, in your book, uh, you have a title to Chapter 7. It says, Enjoying the Benefit of Hard Work. Now, explain what you mean by that. Well, like I said, I started working since uh, I was five years old, uh, harvesting watermelons, cantaloupes, Chinese shoes, selling lemons, uh, a busboy, dishwasher. You know, I, I went through all the scenario as a cook, uh, joined, I went to the service. Uh, my four years, I spent six months, horrible six months in Guam back in the early 60s. Spent my last year in, in, in Thailand during the uh, Vietnam War. And so while I was in Thailand, I, I, I worked at the office club as a bartender. And, and never, I didn't spend a single penny that year. And I got out, worked, finished two years of college in a year and a half. And at, at the age of 25, I was plan, plan manager at Laredo Packing Company. It's a meat packing company in Laredo. I started working there when I was 13 years old, shoveling manure in the kettle pans. Then I, then I was loading trucks, delivering trucks. I did everything. With, at 25, I was, I was, run, I was, I was running the company. And, and so did all this. I say hard work, but to me, I enjoy every job I had. I had the attitude that mother had. I enjoyed it. I made, I made. I was happy with, I was content with my life because I saw how she was always content with whatever she did. And she had a great sense of humor. She, she sure did, sir. Uh, no matter what, uh, we never, I never saw when she was sad or upset. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that she did what not had those, but it was, never did show her on with her attitude. Now she she passed away last year, right? A year ago, uh, April, yes, sir. April 17th. And she was 96. Yes, sir. What do you think she would say about you writing this book about her? You just gave me. You just gave me goosebumps. I wish, I wish that could have happened. But being said that, I have no words to express that, sir. I, uh, I maybe just I just wanted her that. I always had wanted to be proud of me, and because I was the only boy there, and I wanted to be the best I could be for her. And uh, that's a good question, sir. 
should, I, I know she will be more than proud. She was very proud of what I was doing, you know, when she had her senses. Uh, but, you know, you never do it. You never feel you do enough to be, to show your parents how much you love them. So I guess your advice to all of us is to make sure that our parents do know how much we love them and appreciate them and look for ways to help them. Yes, sir. And by the way, parents are very proud. If they need help, they're not going to ask. We have to go in there and say, Mom, Dad, I need to, I'll do this for you. I'll do that. Offer and see, ask them what they need. And you know, without, before you know it, you'll be surprised how much they need. Especially just a, a love, a hug and kiss and say, I recognize them. Mom and Dad, I love you. Armando, tell us how to get your book. Well, you can get it at www.nogreatersacrifice.com or through authorhousepublishers.com. Well, thank you, Armando. We appreciate so much of getting a, a kind of a peek into your mom's life and all that she means to you and and the great role model and the great example she was to you and your your brother and sisters. So congratulations on publishing her story. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate the opportunity to share it, share her with others. That was Armando L. Garcia. He is the author of his book, No Greater Sacrifice, A Son's Model to Success. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Maybe if I write a book, it will be the thing that keeps me alive. Those are the troubled words of a new 16-year-old author with her first thought-provoking book, What Gives? Published by Togi Entertainment. The author kept a diary during her dark teenage times, which turned into a 360-page suicide note with a happy ending. Texas Monthly describes teen author Chelsea Marie and her new book, What Gives? in this provocative way. We've plunged from page to page, not because of the young diarist despondency. Depression is not especially attractive or compelling, but because we are fascinated to see that while she is fending off demons on one hand, she is writing verse with the other. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Readers of What Gives are giving rave reviews. All social scientists, teachers, and students should use this book as a learning tool. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Petey's Tale, a story of survival inspired by actual events. This is a children's story, and the author is Deborah Bruno, and Deborah joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Deborah. Hello, Steve. How are you today? Well, I'm going to read your introduction. Uh, you have written this uh, just as an overview for the story. 
You say this is a heartwarming story based in part on actual events of a lost dog trying to find his way home. The story is one of determination, love, survival, and lessons learned. Well, there's certainly a lot of reasons to write a children's story, Deborah. Why did you write this one? Well, Steve, I was just so inspired by uh, my little dog, Petey, um, and the story that I was told about how he was found as a stray on the streets of uh, uh, Northern California. And um, I just wanted to share the story in the form of a children's book, and uh, as part of that, to deliver a couple of messages to children's children and their parents alike. So you have a message to children that uh, is pretty straightforward about how they need to act toward their parents. Oh, yes. Yeah, first, um, first I, I just hope that the children uh, who have access to it really, really love it and, and read it over and over again. Uh, but as, uh, as they hear the story, uh, the message is very loud and clear that uh, you really should be obey- obeying your parents and... Um, if you want to vo- avoid going through the troubles that Petey went through in this little story, uh, you better stay close to home and listen to your mom and dad. Actually, I, I think for adults, it, it might also underscore uh, the need to uh, rescue animals as opposed to purchasing animals. There are wonderful vo- variety of animals available for adoption in, in, in all cities. What age group of children are we talking about for, for this book? Well, it, it, it's um, still under discussion, but we're we're nailing down uh, six, seven, and eight-year-olds that really get uh, attached to the story, attached to the dog, and really understand uh, what what it's all about. We've read it to five-year-olds as well, and they seem to be in, engaged in in the story uh, as well. And it also rhymes. Yeah, it's a little whimsical rhyme. Um, I, I, from my own experience, I um, have found that children get more engaged when, uh, when they when they can along with, with the story. So, so that's why I chose to do the rhyming. Yeah, so I'll share a little bit of this. Uh, this is my story. It's called Petey's Tale. I knew I should tell it when I was in jail. Well, not quite a jail, more like a cage. I'll tell you my story when you turn the page. <laughs> so it's a real cute yeah. rhyme, and it rhymes. Yep, and children like rhyme. They they are you know they're drawn toward rhyme. Exactly, and and so that was the uh, the reason for putting it together the way I did. Um, yeah, I've been told with children's books too. You've got to come right out of the gate and grab their attention, and so I think I've managed to accomplish that. And it's also illustrated very colorfully. Uh, some great illustrations. Yes, the illustrator did a fabulous, fabulous job. Uh, she absolutely nailed Petey <laughs> and his expressions, and uh, I was very, very pleased with how how the illustrations uh, came 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 about in their final form. They're really just fabulous. I think uh, any kid is kind of love looking at these pictures. Yeah, what kind of dog is Petey? Is a cute, cute dog. He is a cute dog. Uh, what kind of dog? Well, <laughs> they tell me he's a um, a multi generational mutt. 
<laughs> but he's got a little terrier. What is it? A terrier look? A little terrier? Or? He, yes, he does. He does have some border terrier and uh, and dachshund. Oh, well. okay, dachshund as well. Now you yeah. also you you also have a website. Yes, I do. Um, my website is called poundtails.com. And uh, anyone who's interested can either go to poundtails.com or authorhouse.com and purchase a copy. Now, Pound Tales, it's with an S. It sounds like there's going to be some more tales. <laughs> yes, there is another one, as a matter of fact, uh, that, that I've written. And uh, it has not been published yet, but um, we're going to put that in the coming soon category. Uh, that will be called Pete to the Rescue. Uh, and again, we're going to really hone in on uh, the importance of animal rescue. Pound Tails. Pound Tails. P-O-U-N-D-T-A-L-E-S. Very good, yes. We wanted to make sure people knew how to spell it. Here's another little part of the story. When I awoke, I started to roam, turning left, then right, just looking for home. It was then he caught me, the dog catcher did. He struggled to put me in his truck with a lid. <laughs> very cute. Very, very well done. You, you talk about this being a story of determination, love, survival, and lessons learned. Yes, yes, I do. Um, you know, when I adopted Petey uh, a couple of years back, I arrived at the uh, animal shelter, and uh, after having seen him on a local TV, uh, just as the story goes, a lot of truth of this story. Um, and uh, they had told me that Petey had been picked up uh, about 30 days prior and uh, had not been put up for adoption because he was uh, extremely malnourished. They had estimated him to be astray for approximately 30 days. And so uh, I tried to imagine this tiny little dog uh, running around on the streets and, and, and surviving, you know, managed to survive. And um, he got lucky the day they picked him up and brought him to the uh, to the uh, rescue center, and I got lucky the day I happened to be watching TV and saw his ad for adoption. That must have been quite a sight when you saw him on TV. <laughs> I, I said, that's, that's a dog for me. <laughs> and uh, I got in my car and I drove about... 90 minutes away and uh, got to the rescue center and found out he had been uh, adopted by somebody else, but that she needed uh, permission from her husband before she could go forward with the adoption. And she did not get that permission. So oh, my goodness. She went through some trauma, didn't she? Some trauma. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But you know what, Steve? It was meant to be. We were meant <laughs> to be together. So. so you knew right away when you saw him on TV. That's Petey. That's mine. Yeah, that's my dog. I got to go get him. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah. Well, again, yeah. everyone, you can go to poundtails dot com. That's Deborah's website, and learn all about Petey's tail, and also uh, maybe some little bit of information about some upcoming stories as well. There is that true? Yes, that's true. Um, as I said, I've got another. Uh, a book written called Peep to the Rescue, and uh, that'll be coming out um, within the next few months. Sounds like Pete could do a lot of things, couldn't he? Yes, he sure could. <laughs> <laughs> Most importantly, he's a joy. He's just a joy. 
Well, Deborah, how do we get your book? Well, you can get my book uh, by going to my website, uh, or you can go to the authorhouse.com website. You can go to uh, barnesandnoble.com, borders.com, and amazon.com. Um, so it's widely distributed, and uh, it is print-on-demand. So take about seven to ten days for them to print the book after you place your order, uh, and then you will receive it in the mail. Well, thank you very much, Deborah, for being on Author Talk. It's been my pleasure, and thank you for having me. That was Deborah Bruno. She is the author of her children's book, Petey's Tale, a story of survival inspired by actual events.